You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. So in our series in First and Second Peter, we've been talking uh, about being strong, to be hopeful in the midst of our daily lives, to which apparently Pam and I get to be object lessons for. Can we be strong? Can we be hopeful? In that, we've been talking and chatting about submission. What does it look like to submit? Ultimately, we have to remember that we submit to God in all things. We don't do anything in that submission that would be against God, that would be against God's word. We have to stay true to him and true to his word. Last week, we addressed submission in the form of wives submitting to your husbands. And I heard from a few of you afterwards (laughs) It's a hard message to, to hear, but the principles from last week apply to all of us. Those principles apply to women and men, married or single. Really, it is about the condition of our heart. Are we preparing our heart? Are we the same person at home that we are in church and the same person at work as a woman of God? Women need to be focused on the development of the heart. It's okay to take care of the outside. It's okay to look good, but don't let that become the idol. Don't neglect finishing the inside with gentleness and with a a quiet spirit. Well, today as we move forward, we engage the gentleman. But again, the principles here are what we must focus on. So ladies, you don't get to check out. This is still for you as well. Remember, neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek, neither male or female, neither single or married. That's my paraphrase. All are equal in Christ. So the principle of checking your heart from last week is imperative as we move forward. Again, don't check out if you're single. These principles carry across to all of us. So this passage today may even be for you to hand off to somebody else. The knowledge that's here, the, what you're going to hear, may be for you to encourage somebody else who's struggling right now in their relationship with their spouse, somebody that God has brought into your life. So this morning we move forward. Our main text is 1 Peter 3, verse 7, and the title is The Fortress of a Husband's Love. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt and the security of a city based on the strength of its walls, based on the strength of its gates. And the reality is that the walls are not going to build themselves. Those walls being rebuilt and the gates being restored took a plan. It took determination, took supplies, uh, financing. The walls and the gates needed to be restored even in the midst of a battle with others who sought to stop them. They had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. Today we look at walls again, but we're looking at different walls. In ancient times, if you had a home that was outside of the city walls, it needed to be like a fortress. The exterior built with stone walls, fortified gates of equal strength. 
And again, the idea is here that whoever lived inside of those walls would be safe from attack from man or from beast. The typical fortress has four sides, four walls, a north, a south, a east, and a west wall. And as we look at what marriage should be, it's similar. Marriage is made to keep the contents of that union safe. And, and for that to happen, it takes an enormous amount of commitment, of steadfastness. It takes work. A, a marriage is a covenant. Let me pause for a minute. What is a covenant? It's a promise between two or more parties to perform certain tasks. The word can also be used as a verb. We covenant to work together on this project until it is finished. A covenant is very similar to a promise. When we think of the word biblically, it's very significant. The words testament and covenant are interchangeable. The Bible, your Bible, has an Old Testament and a New Testament, an old covenant and a new covenant. In the ancient times, covenants were well known. They were used often. They were made between equal parties. Maybe even made between a king and his subject. The king would promise certain protections and well, the subject would promise loyalty to the king. A covenant could be based on conditions or it could be unconditional. The Old Testament is more than just a history of Israel. It's really a history of the covenant in which God revealed little by little his character, his plan, his purpose for mankind. Now, I'm not gonna go into them in depth, but there's the Noahic covenant after the flood. God promised to never destroy the world again by flood. A covenant with all mankind that was sealed with a rainbow. Every time we see a rainbow in the sky after a rainstorm, it's a reminder of God's promise of his covenant to us, a sign of his unconditional covenant. Just on a side note, it has nothing to do with the LGBTQ community. God created the rainbow for his purpose, to remind us of his greatness. Then we have the Abrahamic covenant where God promised to bless Abraham and to make him a great nation. This was also an unconditional covenant. God made a covenant with Israel in regards to the use of the promised land based on their obedience to him. The land was given to them unconditionally, but the use of the land had rules. It had conditions. And I would encourage you to study uh, the covenants, and, and you're going to see in that a pattern of Israel's obedience and blessings, and then you're going to see their disobedience and they go into captivity and are disciplined. But in all of that, God is always faithful. In every aspect, he is faithful. God made a covenant with David that he would have a descendant that would sit on his throne forever. This is another unconditional covenant, the covenant that was ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. In Jeremiah 31, God promised a new covenant with Israel who repeatedly violated the terms of all previous covenants. But God promised that this would be different because the hearts of the people would be different. They would be changed, so they would want to be faithful. This is fulfilled in the New Testament with the coming of Christ and the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit who gives the people of God a desire to know him, a desire to obey him. What was a surprise to some is that Gentiles were also included in this covenant. So why would I take us down that rabbit trail? 
The concept of covenant has been lost in our modern society. Promises are broken when new circumstances arise. Contracts are broken. One party simply says, sue me, or I'm going to sue you. Well, marriage is supposed to be a covenant between a man and a woman for life, but divorce is commonplace today. Here's a promise for us, though. Regardless of how unfaithful people may be, God will never be unfaithful to his covenant promises, which brings us to the fortress of a husband's love. In the main text of 1 Peter 3, 7, let's read that. Your husbands in the same way live, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. The New King James Version says it this way, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, as to being heirs together in the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So four walls that are to be built and fortified by the husband. One, submission is mutual. Husbands in the same way are husbands likewise. Two, consideration is essential. Live with or dwell with them with understanding. Three, cooperation is practical, meaning that a husband should promote honor, a husband should provide strength, a husband should pledge companionship as they are heirs together. And then four, the fourth wall, division is unprofitable so that your prayers will not be hindered. So a fortress of a husband's love. The word love is not in our text today, but our text shows a powerful description of how a husband should love his wife. Before we get into it, as I'm thinking about this, I've made some discoveries being married for almost 35 years as of May, I've watched marriages through premarital counseling and even some postmarital counseling, and I made a great discovery. You ready for it? All human beings are incompatible on this earth. That's what I've discovered. That's one thing we have in common. We are mutually incompatible. All we have to do is give it a little time because we're fallen. We're all sinners. And as on point as we all want to be in our faith, we've got to do is give it a little bit of time because we have quirks, we have odd habits, uh, we have strange behaviors, our personalities are different. We go to a marriage retreat or go to a men or women's retreat and you're going to see how odd we really are, aren't you? When we get married, we have this picture in our minds, the perfect marriage, the perfect mate. Bzz, wrong. Your wife, your husband are not perfect, but guess what? Neither are you. What does that picture look like? Um, Pam sent me a text after this last little piece. Um, I have Pam's high school senior pick, and uh, um, I married her. Um, here's the thing. I love my wife. I love my wife. I love her so much, but, but there's a deeper beauty within her that I love even more, a love for the Lord, a, a strong faith in God. But sometimes, you know what she does? 
She breathes my air. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a secret that don't tell her, okay? But sometimes she breathes my air. Can you imagine that? She literally didn't do anything, but there's something there, right? Because we are different human beings where there's a tension all of a sudden when nobody did anything wrong. It just happens. That's how different we are. I'm always asking her, well, why, why are you in my space? We'll come back to that at the end of the message. Here's the thing. We go into marriage with this perfect picture. And a little bit after the honeymoon, you find out, well, the honeymoon's over. So we're left with a couple options. Option A, we tear up this picture that we had of what this is, should look like and accept the person. Or option B, we tear up the person and accept the picture. Robert Anderson said that in, in any marriage more than a week old, there are grounds for divorce. The trick is to find and to continue to find grounds for marriage. So today we look at grounds for marriage, for a good marriage based on the husband's role in that marriage according to verse 7. So last week the ladies were mad at me. This week the men will be mad at me. That's okay. I'm a biblically equal offender. This morning we're going to look that it really is a package deal. That's why ladies you can't check out. Gentlemen you can't check out. This is us together looking at God's word and seeing how we work together. So we're going to read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, so we have the right context. So we're going to read last week's scriptures plus today's. So let's look at 1 Peter 3, starting with verse 1. In the same way, you wise, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in the former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Verse 7, you, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir in the grace of life, so that your prayer will not be hindered. So the first wall, the first side of our fortress, that submission is mutual. Verse 7 starts, husbands likewise. That's where we stop. Peter's been talking to us about submission, making sure that we keep things in check. Back in 1 Peter 2.12, he said, keep your behavior excellent among Gentiles. It's the reminder that the unbelieving world is watching us. They're paying attention. Therefore, in verse 13 of 1 Peter 2, it says, Submit yourself to every institution and authority. Verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters. And then from last week, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. The theme of submission is carrying through. The citizens to government, servants to masters, wives, submit to your husbands. And now, verse 7, Husbands, likewise. So gentlemen, before you storm the platform and try to remove me, 
which I hear there was some mutiny happening in the foyer and first service. Husbands don't submit the same way that citizens to government or servants to masters or wives to husbands. There's a level of submission that takes place mutually between husband and wife. So how does this work? Look what Paul said in Ephesians 5.22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. One of the most famous or infamous scriptures for marriage retreats and marriage seminars, many think it's a good place to start. That would be incorrect. It would be out of biblical context, thus wrong theologically even. You have to back up one verse to verse 21 of Ephesians 5. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The New King James says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Subject to, submitting to one another mutually in the fear of God. We do this together, not separate. After Paul introduces that thought, he addresses four examples of submission. An example for the wife, the husband, for children, an example for servants. Subject to or in submission to one another in the fear of God, followed by wives, submit to your own husbands. So gentlemen, if you're thinking that this is your life verse, woman, submit, you're sadly mistaken. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. It literally says, wives to your own husbands. And down in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. In chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Then in verse 5 of chapter 6, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Thus, submission is for the wife, for the husband, for children, for the servants. Four examples of submission by Paul. And I know what you're thinking, guys. I'm supposed to submit to my wife? Yes, kind of, but it's more than just that. We look at Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Talk about ultimate submission. There's no greater act of submission than the willingness to die for another person. Gentlemen, are you ready to die for your wife? Jesus on the cross was the greatest demonstration of submission. He submitted to the will of the Father. He submitted to the need of mankind, needing forgiveness of sins. That's a profound act of submission, ultimate submission. So within that, as we talk about it, it doesn't mean that the husband stops being the leader of the household. Biblically, the husband is the head of the home. We easily let things get out of order because of how we live and where our society is. When Pam and I were struggling in our marriage some 29 plus years ago, she was the spiritual head of our house. Once I surrendered my life to the Lord, it took a while to reestablish what that headship looked like. And Pam would say, yeah, you're the head of the home, but I'm the Nick and I'm gonna turn the head where I want it to. We got that all worked out, by the way. But here's the thing that we've all gotta get a hold of. A marriage relationship requires both individuals to yield right of way, so there's no collision. In a relationship, you can be stubborn, but both of you relationally need to yield. 
That's the servant's heart of what I've been talking about the last few years even. If Pam is trying to outserve me and she's looking for my best interests and I'm trying to outserve her and I'm looking for her best interests, then, then the friction and the tension is easily dissolved. Even when she's breathing my air. Certainly the husband must make, I believe, the final decision. Even if it's not the right decision, that's hard. You can look at Abraham and Sarah. You can see how he chose to hide their identity because he was fearful. It also cost them their freedom and it almost cost them their lives. So submission is mutual. And that's the first side of the fortress. The second side of our fortress is consideration is essential. Husbands likewise dwell with them. That is to dwell or live with your wives with understanding. Understanding what God's purpose is for marriage. Understand what your role as a husband is and, and what your role as a wife is. As a husband, I should be a lifelong learner of who Pam is. I've watched her grow and change and mature, especially in the last six, seven years. God's doing amazing things. I've got to be learning. Who is she? Where is she at? How do I engage? And she as well is a student of who I am. We learn to adapt. We learn to support each other. Now, I need to know who she is if I'm going to love her well. You need to know who your spouse is if you're going to love them well. If you're going to dwell with them, you need to have that knowledge and that understanding. You look at Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. God created man, and it was very good. But then he says, it's not good that he's alone. Amen to that. I'm going to make a helper, comparable to him, comparable, suitable, a, a counterpart. I'm going to make a helper as a counterpart to him, like him but opposite. The translation in this form of Hebrew suggests polarity, like the north and south pole. If we didn't have both poles on our planet right now, we'd all be a little wobbly. There's a, there's a purpose behind having a north and a south pole. Men and women are the same, yet different. They bring balance, same species, differing wavelengths. Here comes a controversial statement for the day taken from a, a book on brain physiology. It says, men are different from women. Dun, dun, dun. They are equal only in their common membership of the same species, humankind. But to maintain that, they are the same in aptitude and skill and behavior is to build a society on a biological and scientific lie. The book goes on to say, men and women are different because their brains are different. Not better, not inferior, not superior, just simply different. We're different. So a key to having a happy marriage is to understand. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Dwell with them with understanding. For us to truly understand, we have to look at the physical makeup first. Basic metabolism, skeletal makeup, the very composition of our blood cells, the rate at which our heart beats. Other differences? For example, in conversation, a woman, when she speaks, will maintain direct eye contact for an average of 12 seconds. A man in conversation 
can only keep eye contact for an average of three seconds. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Women tend to find their identity in close relationships, not men. Men find their identity in what they do, their vocation. A woman will worry about her future until she gets her husband. A man will never worry about his future until he finds a wife. I didn't mean that in a bad way. How about how we communicate? Harvard University did a study on kids on a playground, hundreds of kids they monitored and recorded and the noises they make and well, they discovered that listening to these little kids on the playground and their conversations and the sounds that came out of the little girls' mouths were actually recognizable words. Whereas the noises that came out of the little boys' mouths, 60% were recognizable, but 40% were vroom, bam, pow, pew, pew, bzzz. One, one. The funny part, though, is that that doesn't change much as we get older. In that, men tend to be all business. Let's get to the bottom line. I, I tend to do that. I, you know, I come into the church, I'm ready to go. They're weak, it's business time. Kirstie will come in and it's like, hey, did you do about that? I gotta stop. Oh, good morning. How are you? Did you rest well? Good, glad you're here today. Have some conversation. Now let's get to business. Men just tend to do that right away. It's hard sometimes. We have to take a pause. Women want the details. Once you give them the details, they want more details about the details. If I'm on the phone and I'm talking with somebody, I get off the phone, Pam will start asking me all kinds of questions, and I'm like, well, they just wanted to know how to do the tile backsplash in their kitchen. Yeah, but how are their kids, and what happened at work, and there's their car okay, did they get it fit? I don't know, we're talking about tile. Women are different. Communication experts tell us the average women speak 25,000 words a day. The average man, half that, 12,500. So what does that mean for marriage? I come home from work, I have used 12,495 words, meaning I have five words left for Pam. Choose them carefully. I love you, good night. Done. Ladies, are you ready? You're just getting started. He's wondering, how can she have so many words? She's thinking he never talks to me. So gentlemen, we need to consider who our wife is. We need to know her. We need to know her. We need to understand her and meet her at that point of her need, that point of communication, digging in a little bit. You know, I watched Pam kind of shift in that even for me. You know, I love, used to love watching the Broncos. Um, I used to love watching football all the time. I just want to watch football. And, and so she began to sit down. She would turn the game on and be ready. I'm like, what are you doing? I just thought I'd turn the game on so we could watch it. 
she's learning and understanding and adapting to those things that I like to do, right? Gentlemen, we need to do the same thing. Learn, grow, adapt, understand. So submission is mutual, consideration is essential. The third wall, cooperation, is practical. Meaning that a husband should promote honor, should provide strength, and should pledge companionship. Back to 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Show her honor. Assign her to a place of honor. Show that, that they have an uncomparable value. That word honor means price or precious or priceless even. Are you ready for this, gentlemen? It means that a husband should treat her with respect and courtesy and kindness. Wait, maybe even out of Galatians 5.22 and use some of that fruit of the Spirit. What would happen if we brought the C word back into our society? Chivalry. Anybody know what that word is? You know, doing things like opening doors for women and being kind and serving and picking up something that they've dropped. And I heard about a man who was walking to an office building and he's walking towards the entrance. He saw a young lady walking towards the same entrance at a brisk pace. So he picked up his pace so he could open the door for her. But apparently she was a little more liberal and said, don't open the door for me just because I'm a woman. And he smiled and gently said, I'm not. I'm opening the door, ma'am, because I am a gentleman. So men, let that be part of who we are. I don't care if you're married or single. Be a gentleman. Use chivalry. Let that be who we are. Husbands, honor your wife. Gentlemen, let's honor the women that are around us. Be comforting instead of lecturing and criticizing. You don't have to fix everything that she's telling you, right? We, guys, we do that. You know, it was a man who in, invented duct tape, right? We fix things. You don't always have to fix it just because she's saying it. Just listen. Pay attention. Honor her. Understand her. And then the touchy part of the verse, try to be gentle with this piece. The New King James says, give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel so gentlemen, I would encourage you not to go home and refer to your wife or your daughter as the weaker vessel. That'd be a bad idea. And you'll be in my office and we'll be doing some counseling. Doesn't mean weaker intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually. As a matter of fact, women are generally more mature emotionally. They're, they're not afraid to talk about their feelings. Men will talk about what they're thinking, but not about what they feel. If you ask them how they feel, you might not get a response and they may look like a deer in the headlights. Spiritually, women are ready to engage before men are at a higher level. Or they're the backbone of many congregations in America. When World War II happened, the men were drawn away from the church. They went to war and many of them never returned. Women stepped in, they became Sunday school teachers and, and they served at a greater level within the churches because they had to. One study shows that still women are 57% more likely to participate in Sunday school, 39% more likely to have a daily devotion, 33% more likely to volunteer at church, and 29% more likely to share their faith with someone else. 
So when Peter says here, weaker vessel, he literally means physically. Generally, physiologically, women do not have the same strength that men do. Scientifically, a woman's blood contains more water and 20% fewer blood cells, which supply oxygen to the body. That accounts for the fact that she may tire more easily. She may be more prone to fainting. Don't throw anything at me. This is generally speaking. And I know some of you ladies in this room, you're stronger and in better shape than I am. You lift more weights than I do. Good for you. This is just generally speaking. So don't be offended. And let's get out of the subject as quick as we can. Here's the thing. <clears throat> Men, don't you think we need to know our wives so well that we know where their soft spots are? Right? We need to know who they are. It's just like a newborn baby that's brought home. The father and the mother, they know the soft spots on that baby's head. Those little soft spots where the, the bones haven't quite fused together yet. If a man can understand the soft spot in his wife's characters, the, the things that she struggles with, the, the things that she fears, maybe the people that, that need to be kept away from her because they're toxic or they cause harm, that's when we step in and we offer strength where there is weakness. We protect. We lovingly show honor and grace. We protect them. We need to treat our wives like fine china, not a paper plate. We need to treat them like, like that special box of, of silver that you ha have in the cabinet, not plasticware. Or as one uh, cowboy put it, if a man has enough horse sense to treat his wife like a thoroughbred, she'll never turn into a nag. Then it shifts. Fellow heir of the grace of life speaks to companionship. That's why cooperation is practical. Your companions, your heirs together, it's not just sharing life and home and children together, and it's not just sharing eternal life together, it's both. Jesus died for her the same way he died for you. The value of her soul is the same as the value of yours. So we keep that in mind as we interact with her, knowing that we are dealing with a child of God. Matthew Henry, he, he's got a great quote on this. It's so good. He says, Women, woman was not taken from man's head to be above him. She was not taken from his feet to be walked on by him, but she was taken from his side to be close to him, from under his arm to be protected by him, and from near his heart to be loved by him. So listen, men. She, she doesn't want more things. She wants more of you. She wants your time, your honor, your esteem. She wants your input, your companionship, your heirs together of the grace of life. Be her companion. Be her companion. The fourth side of our fortress division is unprofitable. Still in verse 7, so that your prayers will not be hindered. It's pretty straightforward. If you do not treat your wife with respect, your prayers will indeed be hindered. 
The word hinder means to cut in or to interrupt. It's a, a military term of somebody trying to blow up a road that an enemy can't advance towards you on that road. We talked about this uh, the last Sunday of the year, the, the family unit being under attack. If, if the devil can get in and pull that family unit apart, it causes so much destruction. Guys, we've got to We've gotta make sure that we're keeping that proper perspective. Satan's desire is to throw a trench in the road between you and your spouse, between you and God, to kill that effective communication that you would have with him. He wants to interrupt it. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And really, I think that's true of us as men. Satan wants to sift us like wheat. He wants to distract us, tear us down, pull us away. One way that he can hinder our prayers, that our prayers would be unanswered is through unforgiveness. It's so important within a marriage. You wanna stop your spiritual effectiveness? Just try unforgiveness on for size. We listen to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. We also see that forgiveness piece in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness. Guys, this, this, this comes out for all of us. This isn't just husband and wife. If we have unforgiveness and bitterness in our lives, it's gonna cause a dam within your body and your life, your soul, that the Holy Spirit cannot work through. I exhort you to never go to sleep at night without forgiving each other. Whatever you need to forgive each other for, just do it. There might be a list of things. If you're married, make sure you do that. Don't go to bed with unforgiveness. If you're not married and, and you know that you have wronged somebody, don't go to bed till you make it right. You know, even, even this morning, I, just, I answered somebody kind of short out in the foyer. And, and I'm in this part of the message and I'm like, ooh, I need to go ask for forgiveness. I mean, I wasn't mean, but I was short. Hey, will you forgive me for just the answering that way? What I meant was, <laughs> can we do that? Can we make sure that we're watching how we take care of each other? Let grace and mercy reign in our lives. The reality is, if we don't live in extending grace and mercy to each other, we're in trouble. If we don't extend grace and mercy to our wives, if we don't extend forgiveness, the blessings and favor of God will stop. And really for all of us, if we have any unaddressed sin in our lives, it'll literally stop the flow of the Holy Spirit. You think about it. If you've struggled or you've stumbled or you're living in sin, you have a harder time making decisions, you have a harder time hearing from God, your wisdom and discernment that, that God usually gives you is skewed and you literally lose hope. It applies to those who are married, and unmarried, it affects the whole family. It applies to all of us who seek to serve God. This is where it gets real. How deeply do we love? You have this picture in your mind of the, the perfect spouse. Tear it up. They're imperfect. And they have married an imperfect person. That's why we need to forgive and honor and esteem and, and yield 
because that is the fortress designed to keep safe the inhabitants. When Pam and I got married, a beautiful young lady who loved the Lord, you saw the picture. We have a dream. You have a dream. You have a picture. It's that American dream, right? That 2.5 kids, a dog, a cat. No, no one wants a cat. A dream home, a dream dog, a dream job. But if you're only in love with that picture, with that dream, then what happens if that picture or that dream fails? Where are you going to be? How deep is your love for your spouse? How deeply do you love? You've got to be all in. You see, Pam and I had plans, we had goals, we had dreams, none of which involved breast cancer and surgeries and chemotherapy and radiation and acute myeloid leukemia twice. That wasn't the plan. That wasn't in my picture. The all-out attack on her body not what we planned. We all love weddings, right? Weddings are a lot funner to do than funerals. <laughs> we like the wedding. And we know that we listen to the vows and we have for better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health till death shall we part. When we say those words, well, we're all about it, aren't we? And we, we grab a hold of love and better and rich and health and life. Not worse and poor and sick and death. How deeply do you love? This May will be 35 years of marriage, 35 years that Pam has put up with me. <laughs> if we believed in that kind of thing, I think I would make her a saint. She loved me with a deep love and a faith that saved our marriage and that pointed me to Christ. Then we grow and we support each other and my, my love for her is deeper than the surface deeper than the skin. And we talked about it last week. What is that inner person, that inner beauty? And it's something that, that I've had to work on, something that I've had to build, something I've had to maintain. Guys, that's what we have to do. We have to work on it. It's not just gonna happen. It's something that has to be worked on continually. What does it look like to love deeply? That inner beauty. I encourage you, I exhort you to love deeply now. Don't take each other for granted. Time changes so quickly. And it's not a doom and gloom type thing. What I'm telling you is, man, love each other. <laughs> Don't waste time. Make things right. Make your marriage strong. Love each other deeply. Enjoy each other's company. Cherish each other. Don't just love on the surface. Surface isn't gonna last like we talked about last, last week. It's perishable. It's what's inside that is imperishable. So these four walls that we just talked about, I've been building on them, I've been using them, I've been strengthening them because those need to be a part of who my life and my marriage is. If we hadn't done that, where would I be right now with where Pam is? You know, when, we first, when I first stepped in as the pastor of the church, we had a gentleman that was attending church here that had um, a different type of blood cancer. And when I met him at the door, he's like, I, I don't have any hope. I had this cancer. And as soon as I told my wife, she said, I didn't sign up for that. And she left. How deep was that love? 
How deep is your love for your spouse? You think it's deep? Go deeper. Build on it. Make it stronger. Focus on Christ. Submission is mutual. Husbands in the same way, or likewise, live with or dwell with them with understanding. Consideration is essential. Cooperation is practical. A husband should promote honor, giving honor to the wife. A husband should provide strength as to the weaker vessel. A husband should pledge companionship. They're heirs together. Division is unprofitable. Make sure you have unity so your prayers will not be hindered. For those of you that aren't married, take this information to those that you know who are married and apply it. Encourage them. Apply these principles to your personal life. Apply these principles to building meaningful relationships that will last a lifetime. It's all in God's word. It brings us all back to him. Stay focused on his word and stay engaged. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word again this morning. All of these things are, are so very practical, but also very difficult for a simple reason. <laughs> We're human beings. We have a sin nature. And it's hard for us at times to swallow our pride. It's hard for us to say, I'm sorry, I forgive you, or, or even to say, please forgive me. So, Lord, would you give us the strength to do that? Would you bring healing and strength and unity within the marriages, within this room, and those listening online, even those listening on the radio? Lord, I pray for every husband and wife relationship here. I pray for every single man and single woman at some point that may want to enter into that meaningful marriage. And, God, that, that they would do that according to your timing and your plan. Lord, I pray that you would give us hope and give us strength within your word that we would just be obedient to you. Help us, Lord, every morning to get up, to spend time talking to you, to spend time in your word, to seek to be filled with your Holy Spirit, and then to be used by you to share hope. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with God as you should. We can take care of that. See, God created the heavens and the earth. When he created man, it was very good. When he created woman, it was very good. All of creation was very good, but then sin entered the world and it brought separation. Separation between God and his creation. And ever since then, we as human beings have tried to fill that void. We fill that void with everything we possibly can think of. It's drugs and alcohol, it's sex, it's pornography, it's money, it's shopping, it's material things. It's even religion, thinking that if we can be religious enough, if we can be a good enough person, it's gonna be okay. All those things will fade away. That void will come right back. The reality is that we need Jesus in our lives. God sent his son to the earth to die on the cross. His blood shed for your sins and my sins. That blood that washes our sins as, as white as snow. He went to the grave where three days later he rose again. 
and he's in heaven with the Father now. That's the gospel message. And because he did that, we have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness, to repent from our sins and restore that relationship with the Father. In the book of Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple of a conversation. It's a conversation from your heart to his heart. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Maybe your marriage is struggling right now because your relationship isn't there with God at all or it's not where it should be. Make it right. Get it on point. Be restored because of what God has given you the opportunity to do. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, if you'd say, Scott, I need that hope of salvation, I'm gonna ask you to pray just a simple prayer. Pray something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you came to earth with a purpose. I believe that you died on the cross for me, and I believe you're alive today. Forgive me. I repent. I turn from my sins. Please come into my life and be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer in this room, come see me. If you prayed it online, shoot me an email, scott at foothillscalvary.org and I'll reach out to you as well. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.